Book Seven, Chapter Eleven of Les Misérables, translated by Isabel F. Hapgood. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joel Portinga. Les Misérables by Victor Hugo, Book Seven, The Champmathieu Affair, Chapter Eleven. Champmathieu more and more astonished. It was he, in fact. The clerk's lamp illumined his countenance. He held his hat in his hand. There was no disorder in his clothing. His coat was carefully buttoned. He was very pale, and he trembled slightly. His hair, which had still been gray on his arrival in Arras, was now entirely white. It had turned white during the hour he had sat there. All heads were raised. The sensation was indescribable. There was a momentary hesitation in the audience. The voice had been so heart-rending. The man who stood there appeared so calm that they did not understand at first. They asked themselves whether he had indeed uttered that cry. They could not believe that that tranquil man had been the one to give that terrible outcry. This indecision only lasted a few seconds. Even before the president and the district attorney could utter a word, before the ushers and the gendarmes could make a gesture, the man whom all still called at that moment Monsieur Madeleine had advanced towards the witnesses Cochepaille, Brevet, and Chenildieu. "'Do you not recognize me?' said he. All three remained speechless, and indicated by a sign of the head that they did not know him. Cochepaille, who was intimidated, made a military salute. Monsieur Madeleine turned towards the jury and the court, and said in a gentle voice, "'Gentlemen of the jury, order the prisoner to be released.' Mr. President, have me arrested. He is not the man whom you are in search of. It is I. I am Jean Valjean. Not a mouth breathed. The first commotion of astonishment had been followed by a silence like that of the grave. Those within the hall experienced that sort of religious terror which seizes the masses when something grand has been done. In the meantime, the face of the President was stamped with sympathy and sadness. He had exchanged a rapid sign with the district attorney, and a few low-toned words with the assistant judges. He addressed the public, and asked in accents which all understood, "'Is there a physician present?' The district attorney took the word. "'Gentlemen of the jury, the very strange and unexpected incident which disturbs the audience inspires us, like yourselves, only with a sentiment which it is unnecessary for us to express.' You all know, by reputation at least, the Honorable Monsieur Madeleine, Mayor of Montreuil-sur-Mer. If there is a physician in the audience, we join the President in requesting him to attend to Monsieur Madeleine, and to conduct him to his home. Monsieur Madeleine did not allow the district attorney to finish. He interrupted him in accents full of suavity and authority. These are the words which he uttered. Here they are literally as they were written down immediately after the trial by one of the witnesses to this scene, and as they now ring in the ears of those who heard them nearly forty years ago. I thank you, Mr. District Attorney, but I am not mad, you shall see. You were on the point of committing a great error. Release this man. I am fulfilling a duty. I am that miserable criminal. I am the only one here who sees the matter clearly, and I am telling you the truth. God, who is on high, looks down on what I am doing at this moment, and that suffices. 
You can take me, for here I am, but I have done my best. I concealed myself under another name. I have become rich. I have become a mayor. I have tried to re-enter the ranks of the honest. It seems that that is not to be done. In short, there are many things which I cannot tell. I will not narrate the story of my life to you. You will hear it one of these days. I robbed Monseigneur the Bishop, it is true. It is true that I robbed little Gervais. They were right in telling you that Jean Valjean was a very vicious wretch. Perhaps it was not altogether his fault. Listen, honorable judges, a man who has been so greatly humbled as I have has neither any remonstrances to make to Providence, nor any advice to give to society. But, you see, the infamy from which I have tried to escape is an injurious thing. The galleys make the convict what he is. Reflect upon that, if you please. Before going to the galleys, I was a poor peasant, with very little intelligence, a sort of idiot. The galleys wrought a change in me. I was stupid. I became vicious. I was a block of wood. I became a firebrand. Later on, indulgence and kindness saved me, as severity had ruined me. But, pardon me, you cannot understand what I am saying. You will find at my house, among the ashes in the fireplace, the forty-sous piece which I stole seven years ago from little Gervais. I have nothing farther to add. Take me. Good God! The district attorney shakes his head. You say, Monsieur Madeleine has gone mad. You do not believe me. That is distressing. Do not, at least, condemn this man. What? These men do not recognize me. I wish Javert were here. He would recognize me. Nothing can reproduce the sombre and kindly melancholy of tone which accompanied these words. He turned to the three convicts, and said, Well, I recognize you. Do you remember Brevet? He paused, hesitated for an instant, and said, Do you remember the knitted suspenders with a checked pattern which you wore in the galleys? Brevet gave a start of surprise, and surveyed him from head to foot with a frightened air. He continued, Jean-il-Dieu, you who conferred on yourself the name of Jean-il-Dieu, your whole right shoulder bears a deep burn, because you one day laid your shoulder against the chafing-dish full of coals in order to efface the three letters T.F.P., which are still visible, nevertheless. Answer, is this true? It is true, said Jean-il-Dieu. He addressed himself to Cochepaille. Cochepaille. You have, near the bend in your left arm, a date stamped in blue letters with burnt powder. The date is that of the landing of the Emperor at Cannes, March 1, 1815. Pull up your sleeve. Cochepaille pulled up his sleeve. All eyes were focused on him and on his bare arm. A gendarme held a light close to it. There was the date. The unhappy man turned to the spectators and the judges with a smile which still rends the hearts of all who saw it whenever they think of it. It was a smile of triumph. It was also a smile of despair. "'You see plainly,' he said, "'that I am Jean Valjean.' In that chamber there were no longer either judges, accusers, nor gendarmes. There was nothing but staring eyes and sympathizing hearts." No one recalled any longer the part that each might be called upon to play. The district attorney forgot he was there for the purpose of prosecuting, the president that he was there to preside, the counsel for the defense that he was there to defend. It was a striking circumstance that no question was put, that no authority intervened. 
the peculiarity of sublime spectacles is that they capture all souls and turn witnesses into spectators no one probably could have explained what he felt no one probably said to himself that he was witnessing the splendid outburst of a grand light all felt themselves inwardly dazzled it was evident that they had jean valjean before their eyes that was clear the appearance of this man had sufficed to suffuse with light that matter which had been so obscure but a moment previously, without any further explanation. The whole crowd, as by a sort of electric revelation, understood instantly and at a single glance the simple and magnificent history of a man who was delivering himself up so that another man might not be condemned in his stead. The details, the hesitations, little possible oppositions, were swallowed up in that vast and luminous fact. It was an impression which vanished speedily, but which was irresistible at the moment. "'I do not wish to disturb the court further,' resumed Jean Valjean. "'I shall withdraw, since you do not arrest me. I have many things to do. The district attorney knows who I am. He knows whither I am going. He can have me arrested when he likes.' He directed his steps towards the door. Not a voice was raised, not an arm extended to hinder him. All stood aside. At that moment there was about him that divine something which causes multitudes to stand aside and make way for a man. He traversed the crowd slowly. It was never known who opened the door, but it is certain that he found the door open when he reached it. On arriving there he turned round and said, "'I am at your command, Mr. District Attorney.' Then he addressed the audience. All of you, all who are present, consider me worthy of pity, do you not? Good God! When I think of what I was on the point of doing, I consider that I am to be envied. Nevertheless, I should have preferred not to have had this occur. He withdrew, and the door closed behind him as it had opened, for those who do certain sovereign things are always sure of being served by someone in the crowd. Less than an hour after this, the verdict of the jury freed the said Champmathieu from all accusations, and Champmathieu, being at once released, went off in a state of stupefaction, thinking that all men were fools, and comprehending nothing of this vision. End of Book 7, Chapter 11